Welcome to Medical Matters Weekly with Dr. Trey Dobson, presented by Southwestern Vermont Healthcare and Catamount Access Television. Welcome, everyone. Today is August 29th, 2022, and we are recording this show for August 31st. I'm Trey Dobson, Chief Medical Officer at Southwestern Vermont Medical Center and an emergency medicine physician with Dartmouth Health. And this is Medical Matters Weekly, a show about the aspects of healthcare that matter to you most. I'm excited about our guest today, Dr. Matilde Castiel. Did I pronounce that right? Correct. Correct. Very good. She is the Commissioner of Health and Human Services for the city of Worcester, Mass. And uh, she has a long bio here. I'll just give you a couple of highlights and you can look online at the full, uh, at the full bio. She completed her residency at UMass Memorial, uh, worked as an internal medicine physician with UMass Memorial Medical Center and Family Health Center of Worcester, and served as an associate professor of internal medicine, family medicine and psychiatry at UMass Medical School. And she founded the Latin American Health Alliance. It goes on and on. She's been uh, honored with many awards, including Public Citizen of the Year Award, which is really cool. Did you get a big cape with uh, maybe Public Citizen written on the back? Not quite, not quite, but it was nice. <laughs> and then instrumental in the city of Worcester being honored with the 2020-2021 Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Culture of Health Prize, which is a really big deal. So again, so thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, my pleasure. Tell us a little bit, uh, well, first off, where are you right now? Are you, you're in your office? I'm in my office. Um, I probably should remove the picture of my grandson who's here. I have a nine month old, uh, well, it'll be nine months of, um, at the end of this month, uh, grandson. So that's my first grandson. So let me see. Uh, nope. Remove it and place it closer so we can see. There you go. That's oh, my <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where you're from and the story that we've heard about, about how you came to the United States. So I'm originally from Cuba. Um, I was born in Cuba. And uh, when I was seven years old, um, I left Cuba in what was called Peter Pan Expeditions, where about 4,000 kids left Cuba. And um, my parents stayed behind. So my eight-year-old brother and myself came to Cuba. Uh, we were supposed to go to Boston. And um, my mother had written uh, to all our sponsors here in the United States saying that I was allergic to cold and to down and I couldn't be in uh, somewhere cold. So um, we had flown to Miami. Um, and uh, that's from there, I was supposed to go to Boston. But because of those letters, I ended up going to California. Um, and so I stayed at a foster home in Lakewood, California. And uh, shortly thereafter, my family came and we were reunited and um, grew up in California. And only to That's come back. Yep, only to come back to uh, Worcester or to Massachusetts, where um, my husband, uh, who we met in residency in St. Louis, uh, said he wanted to, uh, to try New England for two years. And that's been 33 years ago. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. And, and is your brother, you mentioned your brother, is he still in the United States? He's in the United States. He's in, he's in California. He's an accountant in, uh, in LA. And you did your medical training in San Francisco. Correct. Correct. I, I just mentioned that. that because I saw it on your bio and I, I was there a couple of weeks ago for the first time. So uh, I got to see, see the area. So it was a oh, nice. beautiful place. Beautiful place. So what drew you into medicine? Um, I think when I was uh, young, 
um, sort of a lot of the stuff that my dad uh, would do. He um, he worked in uh, in neighborhoods, Latino neighborhoods, and uh, um, he was a salesman and did um, you know basically sold things out of his uh, out of his car. And so I got to meet people in the neighborhood. Plus, I was also my parents' um, interpreter um, when we went to to the doctor's office to take care of any issues or any issues that he had. And so I really got involved in in that whole process and sort of um, wanted to see how I could help through that matter. But I didn't think that um, I could go through med school. I didn't think that that was something that I was capable of doing. But uh, later on, I got a job in high school as a pharmacist and uh, um, worked as a pharmacist tech and ended up um, seeing some heart surgeries uh, live on the amphitheater. And I thought it was the coolest thing to be able to do that because I thought I met the guy beforehand. So I knew him as a person. And then I got to meet him inside, as I would say. Um, and that was incredibly a beautiful experience to know somebody from inside, literally from inside and outside. So um, um, I got really fascinated with that. And then I just decided that I was going to pursue it. And then you've been, so much of your work has been with underserved communities. Um, and what do you think, did, was that from your background uh, in, in immigration? What drew you to working with underserved communities? I think it was that. I think that's, uh, you know, that's who we were um, when we came to this mm -hmm. country. And so, um, and, you know, my parents worked in factories. Um, we were, you know, it was, we, we were trying to make ends meet and everybody we knew around us was in the same situation. And so, um, I think that those were all part of it. Plus, I think that, um, I don't know, I think we just um, had a desire to help people to uh, improve people's lives. And that was something that my dad was really passionate about and sort of passed on to me. And so um, we did a lot of uh, sort of going out into the community together and talking to people. That was what he liked to do. And so um, I used to go to work with him and it was sort of a um, a neat thing to do, but I always said that this is what I want to do. And I wanted to go back to the neighborhood and work there. So I did spend a, um, a year or two um, working at uh, LA County General Hospital, um, you know, during my stint at, uh, in med school, but um, I really enjoyed um, working in the community. Well, I tell you, it is very admirable. And, you know, a lot of people, um, at least I found like in a lot of my peers and going through the process of going into medical school, it's sort of a romantic idea. People want to do that. They want to go into uh, helping underserved areas, whether that's underserved in the inner city or underserved in rural communities or underserved by a specific type of, of diagnosis or um, a specific ethnic background, but you can lose that. You can get, it takes a long time to get through medical school and then residency and can sort of not lose the desire, but lose that focus because now you're focused on uh, the next part of your life. And so again, it's uh, admirable that you continue to work with it. And now you got involved as a commissioner of health and human services. So, so most doctors do not do that. How, how did that happen? Well, you know, I, I always, uh, in the back of my mind, I think seeing patients, I, you realize what some of the problems are and, and you want to do it for all, um, for all people, right? You want to do it for the community, for people uh, who have diabetes. I want to make an impact in, in those kinds of things, um, but in a grander scale, but never thought otherwise about this position, except for um, somebody who um, 
was a city councilor here, actually handed me um, some applications and said, this would be a great job for you. I think you should apply. I said, you know, I'll never get anything like that. She said, no, I think you should apply. So um, I applied and, um, and here I am. I think September will be uh, seven years that I've been here. So um, true, I've, I've enjoyed every, every process of it. I think uh, just had a meeting today to talk about some of our frustrations because I think everybody gets frustrated because there's so much that we want to do. And it's, it's a slow process moving forward. We want to change everything um, as quickly as we can because we've seen the outcomes of, of what happens when we don't. Uh, but it's a process. We deal with homelessness. We deal with addiction, uh, you know, reentry, people coming in, coming back from jail. Uh, we've, you know, the whole COVID piece that we dealt with. Uh, but we, we had a task force and we turned that task force into the equity task force to really the biggest issue is how do we bring equity into the community and what are the things that we need to do differently to bring that? And I think that's, that's a lot of our conversations. That's a lot of our work. Um, but at times it's, it's frustrating because it just doesn't happen as quickly as we want to. We get a lot of pushback, but um, I also um, love the ability to continue to push, but it does sometimes get, okay, we're tired right now. Let's figure out, let's, think about another method of how to redo this. So we're constantly doing that. So, so connect with me. Um, I know states differ a little bit in this regard, but with how you're connected with the state, uh, you know, Department of Health. So uh, right now we have, um, we, we started a couple of years ago, the 14 largest cities got together um, and it was, it was really something that a few of us uh, thought about and we've talked about it. And ultimately, it came to fruition. And um, it's it's um, it's been a group to, to think about how we all work together and how we all make that progress moving forward. And um, that's how we've uh, worked with the state. And most recently, um, we uh, you know we decided that we're going to go independent. Um, and um, so we formed the 14 largest cities, and uh, we have a board now. And so we're. Um, um, looking to move forward because I think together we'd like to, whatever changes we make here in Worcester, we want to make sure that we can create those changes throughout Massachusetts. So, And I don't want to get in the weeds too much. I'll just ask one more question, just for my own personal. So, so your funding is, is separate then from, from the state health department, basically. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, we have grants from the state health department that, that we have a team who works on those, on those, um, on those particular grants, but but really through my office, um, I have in particular here. I, I run uh, homelessness. Um, we run what's called the governance and the hub, which is really um, again people who um, who the most vulnerable people in our community. But how do we work to with all the agencies to um, as I say wrap wrap them ourselves around them to make sure that that person who we identify as having high risk factors actually goes into treatment. Uh, and governance is, is really all the people um, from the different agencies, nonprofits and the city that we present uh, topics to that we want them to understand and how do we move those topics forward, whether it's topics on reentry. Um, we, we just recently did a safe consumption site so that people are aware of the things that are um, 
people are trying to move forward? Where are we in some of these processes to, to keep, you know, dealing with it? You know, how do we uh, deal with trauma in the, in the public school system, suspensions in the public school systems? What do we need to have in those? So that those are the kinds of presentations we give to governance. And our homeless group is really uh, doing outreach. We have recovery coaches uh, that are hired by the city to go out and then hopefully help people with, uh, with addiction get into treatment. Uh, and, and support them through that process. So those are just a little bit of, of um, at least outside of the five departments that I run, um, those are some of the things that we do here um, internally. Boy, that is truly public health. I mean, that's, you just hit all of the major uh, sectors there. Um, not to dwell on the pandemic too much, but did you see a lot of change uh, in Worcester and, and your focus and your, your staff's focus during the, pan during the uh, initial stages of the pandemic? You know, I think I think um, we were um, incredibly scared during that time because we didn't know that much about uh, about this virus. But I probably think it was, um, and I and I hate to say it this way, but it was probably one of the more exciting times that we've had here in the sense of all the things that we did together as a group. And so we opened yeah. up shelters. We had COVID positive shelters. Uh, we, you know, vaccinated, uh, we, we tested first all of the shelters and, um, and then when we got the vaccines, we went out into the community, we had what was called the equity vaccine. And so um, we went everywhere in the community, we actually walked down the streets and went into markets and vaccinated people. And it was just, uh, to me, it was what public health was. But at the same time, um, I think we were scared, we didn't know. Um, but it was it was also uh, real rewarding to help um, the most vulnerable in our community. And so um, I'm grateful for that. I think I look back on it as um, an amazing accomplishment that we did here. Um, I certainly don't want it again, but I, I no. truly public health and it. And what it did was, um, you know, we had a United Way had a group called Worcester Together and they came together and they helped. We had a COVID-19 equity task force, which was between UMass um, the city of Worcester, and then everybody else in community. So the hospitals, the health centers, and, and really work together for the first time. And I, I think of all the things that are positive about COVID uh, truly was that we all work together. And I'm trying desperately not to have it go back to the way it was and that we continue to work together. And we have done that so far. We got together to even talk about monkeypox and what are we going to do and what are the hospitals and the health centers doing? Um, but that's the way it should be, that we're all working together. So <clears throat> I guess that's, that's what I uh, hope that we continue to look forward to. And then also to think about how we go out and reach into the community. How do we get this information out into, into communities of color? Um, and it isn't just with flyers. It isn't just with, um, you know, we did enough by going, we went to the area, but I think there has to be a deeper outreach into the community, block by block, house by house, that we are part, you know, whether it's nurse practitioners and uh, community health workers that go out into the community and really get to know people and what are some of the issues so that we can assess them and we can work with them and help them through that process. So I, I look at medicine a little bit different now that we have to go to people instead of people going to, um, to healthcare and to the hospital. You know, you, you said... You said um, an exciting time, and, and it's okay. I think that's totally appropriate to have exciting times during uh, mass, mass casualties and disasters. It's exciting in the sense of what can we do uh, to be effective. And, 
And I think we all have to learn from each other and study you know, what was effective and frankly, what wasn't effective, just, exactly. which is just as important. Some places, um, whether it was public health or certain organizations were, were especially initially on, they were at least e either paralyzed by fear and then therefore uh, uh, unable to be effective, or they were so complacent and in denial that they were unable to be effective because they made so many mistakes. And so it sounds like, um, and, and by the way, the differences here and the way to uh, move forward is through strong leadership, which is likely, I am sure, from yourself and others, uh, what made you successful or your, you know, your, um, your efforts successful. That's the first. And the second, of course, is like you say, collaboration. Everyone, all different sectors, all different facets, whether it's a focus group on on providing food or a focus group on actually uh, attending to maternal fetal situations. Uh, working together and not in silos. It, it's it's easy to say, it's hard to implement. Okay. So uh, again, went, congratulations for that. Yeah, no, and I, and, and I agree with you that um, those, you know, the idea of, of going out and really helping people was was a plus. And I, I don't want to minimize any of any of what happened. I also had uh, family members who passed away during COVID and um, certainly don't want to minimize any of that. But but I guess I stress the fact that it was important for us to really go out and do the work in the community. And it, it's really why, why we're here. So um, um, I think it was, it was a different experience. And um, um, I think it taught us a lot. And like you said, this is how we learn through the process. So how, what are we going to do next time? And how are we going to change that? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Latin American Health Alliance. So Back in 2004, uh, there was a group of, of people who got together to talk about some of the violence that was happening in the main South area, which is a, uh, a big portion is a Latino community. Um, and we came to the conclusion that addiction was the issue and that uh, the numbers in the Latino community uh, were increasing and uh, they did not feel comfortable in treatment facilities because they didn't speak the language or you know, the food wasn't the right food. And so, um, uh, we got together to figure out how we put a treatment facility together. Hector Reyes was a gentleman who was, uh, he himself suffered uh, with addiction. He had recovered um, and he really was somebody who was helping the Latino community, especially um, uh, Latino community was suffering with addiction to, um, to help them through that process. And this was one of his dreams was to put a treatment facility for Latino men. And so um, we worked together uh, to put this treatment facility that's funded through the Bureau of Substance Use for a 25 bed. Um, I didn't know that much about addiction. Uh, we never got trained a whole lot in addiction when, uh, when I went through medical school, but I certainly did a lot of reading and a lot of work on it. And uh, it, it certainly became uh, uh, something that I'm incredibly um, tied into, feel a whole lot about it. Uh, so in 2009, we opened the treatment facility and um, unfortunately, Hector Reyes died July 4th of 2009. So um, I've uh, sort of, with him in my heart, we keep moving forward and, uh, uh, you know, continue to have this program. We have two transition houses. Uh, we have a, a restaurant, uh, which is Cuban, because that's the only thing I know how to do. I always say is I know how to practice medicine and I know how to cook Cuban food. So I taught the guys how to cook Cuban food <coughs> and it's a job training program for the men in, re in recovery. Uh, but we also did the two transition houses. Uh, again, people, you know, 
especially uh, communities of color are released from jail. They don't have an education. They don't have any job training and they have a quarry. So difficult to find jobs, difficult to, um, uh, to give people purpose in life and um, people who've been incarcerated for 10 plus years. And so um, I think there is also that stigma that people won't accept them. And I think one of the good things about the restaurant is that uh, it brings um, people in recovery, people from the program uh, to meet with people in the community so that they realize that there's no difference between them and anybody else. You wouldn't know that somebody's in recovery. And um, I also, I, I think I, I do a lot of work in the med school trying to, um, to talk a lot to the med students about, um, to look at the problems that they see in the community and how do they solve those issues? What things can they do in the community uh, to solve it? And I think that that was a uh, one of the things for me that was incredibly important and we just kept on building. I mean, I think, uh, and I did this all as a volunteer. I still had my, uh, you know, my practice. I did not, uh, I didn't work for him. I was a volunteer the entire time, but it was, Oh, we don't have housing. They can't afford housing. And so we put a transition house and they can't get jobs. They don't have job training, but let's, let's give them job training. So it's all the things that we can do. And I think as physicians, we have the ability and the power. I remember asking for money, um, because we couldn't access the grant from the state unless we had some funding and we had no funding. And so we knocked on doors and found a, a bank um, that actually said, I'll, you know, I'll give you a line of credit that we never used, but we were able to access the, the, the grant from the Bureau of Substance Use. And that's how we got started. But um, it's probably been the most rewarding thing I've ever done to see people's lives change is uh, incredible. And um, you know, I, uh, I call them all my sons. They call me mom because it's like you're raising your kids. So it's um, just because it's you've given them that trust and you care about uh, about them and how they do. So um, it's, it's a it's a great thing. So I'm here um, as commissioner also trying to figure out how we improve addiction care in our community and how we all work together through that process. Same as reentry from jail, thinking about what, what are we doing there? And do we need to spend X amount of times there? And if we're there, what's the treatment you're giving? And what are job training things that you're doing for people so that when they leave, they can actually function? Right, and, and be contributing members of society. And I say those terms because uh, sometimes people, you know, kind of, they don't really mean it like this. They say, I, mean, you know, I don't know why you're putting all your efforts in, into this type of, of work. And, and it's easy for me to respond um, or my colleagues um, who are doing work uh, like that. Well, we went into medicine to end suffering. And there are many ways, or at least to limit suffering. And there are many ways to limit suffering. And, and one is uh, to give people the opportunity to get back into the community right. and contribute. And, and I hope that appeals to even those folks who, who may think it's a, quote, waste of time. It's not at all because these are humans who can contribute. Uh, and in fact, in fact, like you said, there are many people that uh, others have no clue, have been through, uh, have been down, have been through addiction and have recovered or jail and have recovered and, uh, and leave meaning. Not only do they live meaningful lives, they contribute to advancement. And that's so important. Real quick, you use some data. I, I'm looking at my notes here. Um, you use data or, or Worcester uses data to support population health efforts. Can you just comment quickly uh, on why that's in my notes? <laughs> oh, I think because it was a COVID-19 um, equity task force that um, 
we knew real time uh, numbers that were happening. We knew where it was. We knew what areas we needed to uh, to focus on, and that was important to um, to what we did with COVID. But we're turning that uh, COVID equity, uh, that COVID nineteen task force, into the COVID equity task force to really look at the inequities and see what the data is on that. We're just in the process of uh, of uh, getting a vendor to be able to tie in all the EMRs together from the health centers and the hospital so we can pull out that data because without local data, um, we can't function to the same degree that we could, um, you know, getting state data. So it's an important piece. I think that's also a piece of what uh, the 14 largest cities is trying to do is get local data for their cities. So uh, that's where we were, but it was really what that what COVID did uh, for data that was incredibly important to be able to see real time and, and where to go, um, that was important. Um, so what neighborhoods and that, that's what uh, um, really helped us through that, through that time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's one of the problems and you drive public health initiatives or frankly, any public initiative is, um, you know, what motivates you is your heart, but you have to lead uh, with looking at where the data says to go, not just where your heart does. And as an emergency physician, I see things that are not really representative of society because it is selective coming into me. And I know that. And I think that's so important. Do you, do you think that was a part of the reason uh, that Worcester received the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Culture of Health Prize. I know there's other, many other aspects. To that. I think that, yeah, I, I, I think that there's a whole lot of reasons. I think that certainly we're a diverse community. Um, I think the, our, our ability to work together, um, all the different organizations, if I think about Southeast Asian Coalition and what they do in the community and how we collaborate together or legendary legacies that mentors young men, all of these things are, are what, different nonprofits do in our community and all sort of, you can say, rowing in the same direction really to, to end inequities that, that exist. And so um, I think that that's, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it in other cities and I'm sure there are, but I haven't and to the degree that we have here. We have just the right amount of population where everybody knows one another and that we can work with one another um, and, and listen to each other's ideas uh, and try to improve them. So I think it's all the different organizations that, that exist in Worcester um, that work together uh, to, to help the community. Yeah, and we really can make a difference. It's so, uh, you know, things can get pretty, pretty bleak these days and having that optimistic viewpoint is so important uh, to motivate and inspire us. Tell us what you're looking forward to uh, either personally or professionally over the next year or two. That's a good question. Uh, you know, I was thinking once upon a time, uh, a couple of years ago, I wanted to uh, uh, be the czar of drugs. I wanted to uh, to do that, the advisory to the uh, president for, for drugs. So that didn't pan out. Um, but um, I still like to continue working on, on addiction. I still like to work with uh, the men in the program. Um, and I still, uh, there's so much to do here. Uh, my family asked me, when am I going to retire? And I don't see... Uh, retiring at some point. I think that uh, it is, to me, this is really exciting. It's, um, uh, it's exciting. It's rewarding. I think the combination of the two, I still do one, one day a week uh, clinic at the Hector Reyes house. So I'm, I still practice a little bit of medicine and I get to see uh, patients and um, talk to the men. And so I, I enjoy that very much. And here constantly, I keep telling all my staff, we have to change the world. 
Um, and so we keep working and trying to improve what happens in our community. And hopefully we will become a role model that can transform other communities. So that's what I look forward to. So I doubt I'll be retiring at any point soon. Don't tell that to my husband, but um, this is my, uh, um, I like what I do. Oh, Dr. Castile, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I'll also thank Mike Cutler from CAT TV, Ray Smith from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare, Ashley Jowett from Southwestern Vermont Healthcare. I'm Trey Dobson. Go out and find joy in everything you do. Change the world. And we will see you again next week. Thank you.